Amen. You may be seated. Happy New Year. It's good to start a, a year off with a sermon from God's Word. And we will, this morning, jump right back into the Gospel of Mark, where we left off right before our Advent season began and on November the 29th. And we will pick up with what I think is a very, very fitting passage of Scripture to ring in a new year. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7, the very last paragraph of that chapter, starting in verse 31, and we'll go through 37. So a, a short text this morning with a big punch, with a big, big punch that we all need to get this morning. My purpose this morning is real simple. My purpose is to stir within us a love for Jesus Christ that is more intense than it was last year. That it was more intense than when we woke up this morning and we came here. I intend to do this every Sunday that I stand in this pulpit. I think Josh intended to do that every Sunday during our season of Advent. But I'm going to tell you that this morning's text lends, this, lends us to this task more poignantly. This uh, question before us this morning is, how did you come to church this morning? Did you come this morning saying, I'm going to church because I love Jesus Christ and I need to love him more? That should be what all of us say as we come this morning. And I'm seeing a hug and a nod and a, I don't know what's going on over there. But let me tell you something, if that is not the heart with which you came to church this morning, pause for a moment and reset your heart. It is not too late in this hour that we are in to say, I am here this morning because I love Jesus Christ and I want to love him more. So yes, I aim this morning to take this passage as it is given to us by God and to move us towards a greater love for Jesus Christ than when we had when we left home this morning. And I urge you to intentionally engage with me as we unpack these verses. Let's read the passage together here. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Then he, this is Jesus, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. And said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear. And the mute speak. At this point in the life of Christ, he has been spending months in Gentile territory. If we look right before this passage, he's in the region of Tyre and 
Sidon where he meets the Syrophoenician woman who has a daughter that's possessed with a demon. And our Jesus heals that little girl long distance. And it's quite an amazing exchange between this woman and Jesus. It's, it's words that are troubling at first, but I hope uh, the Sunday that we unpack these verses, you have a great appreciation for what happened. But listen to this exchange between Jesus and that Syrophoenician woman. He said to her, after she asks for him to heal her daughter, he says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. <laughs> wow. But even more impressive, more astonishing than that is this woman's response. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. This is Jesus' dialogue with a Gentile woman that doesn't know the God of Israel. She does after that encounter. So Jesus has been dwelling in Gentile territory north of Israel in that exchange. Now he's traversed across Israel and he's back into Gentile territory on the east side of the Sea of Galilee in a region called the Decapolis. Decapolis is a term for ten cities. It's a region in Gentile territory that's made up of ten cities. And he's returned there. This is his second time to be in this region called the Decapolis. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, we looked at that several weeks ago. What an astonishing passage that was. Jesus there, the minute his boat hits the shore, he's confronted by a man who has come down out of the caves, who indeed broke chains free so that he could come down to the sea, and he is possessed by demons. And Jesus asks the man, the demon, what is your name? And that demon responds, my name is Legion. For we are many. So Jesus there confronts this demon-possessed man. And legion, we are many, literally means thousands of demons were within this man. And Jesus casts these demons out into a herd of 2,000 pigs. And they run off the shore into the sea and are drowned. It's astonishing. But notice how things now in this Decapolis region have changed. Watch this. In Mark chapter 5, verse 17, when Jesus cast these demons out of this man into the pigs and they run into the sea and they die, the people of the Decapolis region, verse 17 of Mark 5 says, begged Jesus to leave the territory. And he did. The man that was possessed by legion, the man begs Jesus, can I follow you? Can I join your team of disciples and go with you wherever you go? And Jesus replies in verse 19 of Mark 5, no. Instead, Jesus gives him a commission and he says, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the text says that Mark, the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone in the region marveled. So the people of the Decapolis, when the demon is cast out into the pigs and they die, they beg Jesus to leave. This man begs Jesus, now can I go with you? He says, no, I need you to be the first missionary to the Gentiles. And I need you to go home and tell everyone 
what I have done for you. And the text over there in Mark 5 says the people marveled at this news. These are the same people that now we see in Mark 7, 31. Now the people of the Decapolis are begging Jesus to lay his hand on one of their own who is deaf and has a speech impediment. What changed their attitude about Jesus? It is nothing short than the evangelistic work of the man that was possessed by legion. He did his job. He fulfilled his commission. And so the first missionary to the Gentiles obediently fulfilled the commission that Jesus gave him. And that sets the scene for the entire episode that Mark was inspired to record for us now this morning. So let me make a quick application before we move to the main point of this text. We must, in 2016 and beyond, we must never underestimate the effectiveness of our simple testimony of who Jesus Christ is and what He's done in our life. We must never sell that short. The fact that this man obeyed Jesus' command and told all the people in the Decapolis about what the Lord had done for him, that is why we have this passage now before us and we have a deaf and speech-impeded man before Christ to be miraculously healed. It's based on the testimony of one faithful man. And so just as we have been gathered to Jesus by the testimony of others, so through our testimonies to others will they be gathered to Jesus Christ. And maybe this morning, you being here, maybe this morning is an opportunity for you to be gathered to this Jesus that you're going to see in this text now. And it's through the testimonies that Mark has recorded that you would join Jesus' list of disciples. So as I said this to the beginning of this sermon, my aim is to build up within us a robust, intense, lasting love for Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that is possible as we understand what Jesus does with this man that these people have brought before him. So the second thing that I want us to look at this morning now is the compassion of God in the works of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what verses 33, 34, and 35 are all about. What Mark records in these verses is nothing short of astonishing. And I'm going to dare say that you've likely read this passage many times and had a brief moment of curiosity, and then quickly you moved on and kept on reading. Well, we're going to stop with this brief curiosity, and we're going to unpack profound truth. And we're going to see Jesus Christ, perhaps in a way to ring in this new year, that will launch us into a love for him that will not relax in the near future. Look what it says. This man's brought to Jesus. And Jesus, verse 33, it says, Jesus took him aside from the crowd privately. And he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. 
And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. These verses are short. The phrases are succinct. But they are vivid with details about our Christ. Vivid. These verses are intended by God to show us who Jesus Christ is and to stir within us a deeper love for Him. And here's how God does it. He inspires Mark to record six actions. Six specific actions that Jesus takes with this man. And I'm going to say to you this morning that I believe that these six things Jesus does are what I would call divine sign language. There's nothing magical going on here. There's nothing mystical. We need to be very literal when we come to this passage. And we need to see that Jesus is using sign language for a man that can't hear. As he relates to him in the process of healing him. First, he takes the man aside from the crowd privately. Can, can you imagine for a moment the, the hubbub of the crowd? This man in his condition and this stranger that he's been brought to motions perhaps to him or takes him by the hand and pulls him aside and says, we're going to have a private encounter. This is to sign to this man that Jesus wants to relate to him very, very personally. This man is not a, a task. He's not a problem that Jesus needs to fix. This is a human being that bears the image of God. And Jesus says, come aside. I want to relate to you as I address the issues that you are struggling with. So he's a very compassionate Christ who is very relational and we need to understand that this is the same Jesus that we gather here to worship every Sunday and Wednesday. And I want you to love Jesus for this act of compassion and this personal desire to have a relationship with this man. I want you to love Jesus because this is how he is towards you and me. Look at the second thing. He puts his fingers in the man's ears. Why would he do that? Again, if we buy into this divine sign language concept. This man can't hear. And so he is symbolizing to the man by placing his fingers in his ears. I understand your issue. And I'm here to address this. I want you to understand that we want Jesus to relate to us like this. We want Jesus to understand our problems as we live in a fallen world. And we have many, do we not? Take, for example, when you go to the doctor. Do you like going to the doctor and the doctor doing a lot of stuff to you and never mentioning to you what he's doing and signing up a sheet of paper and sending you on your way? We don't want that from our doctors. We want details. What are you doing? What do you think? What, what is my condition? Is there hope? And Jesus, in this moment, is being a highly relational physician to this man by placing his fingers in his ears, saying, I understand your issue, and I am going to address it. This is what's happening to you. So Jesus is a highly relational physician, and I want you to love him 
for his relationship and his desire to relate personally to this man and to you and me. Look at what he does next. He spits on his fingers, presumably, and he touches the man's tongue. Nothing mystical about Jesus' spit. He did not go around spitting on people to heal them. This is divine sign language. He's wetting his fingers. He's wetting the man's tongue. And he's again saying to the man, I understand that you can't speak. And I'm going to wet your whistle. And you're going to talk again. This is what I'm going to do with you, sir. And so we see Jesus working on him very, very relationally. Quick aside. You and I are going to be called by God often in the lives that we live in a fallen world to interact with people that have deep, deep troubles. They might be physical, but let's go spiritual for a moment. We encounter people every day at work and in the community and even within the confines of our congregation that have deep trouble as a result of, yes, maybe sin in their life, or as a result of just living in a fallen world where it's a hard place to live, especially as a Christian. We must be like our Christ. We must pull one another aside. We must relate to one another in such a way that we say, I know your issue. I understand what troubles you. And I just want to be physically in your presence And I hope that my presence will show you the love of Christ. And I want you to know that you are not alone in your trouble. That's what Jesus did with this man. That's how we must be with one another, even with strangers, as Jesus meets a stranger here that he does this with. So here's what we have so far. He's pulled the man aside and had a private meeting with him. He's put his fingers into his ears to symbolize, I understand that you can't hear. He's touched his tongue and said, I understand that you have a speech impediment. And now what does he do next? Now he looks up to heaven. This is to sign to the man where the power to heal is going to come from. This glance up into heaven is nothing short of of Jesus praying to the Father who is in heaven. And if you understand anything about Jesus, yes, He is Emmanuel. Yes, He is God with us. Yes, He is the flesh. He is the Word that became flesh. But we also understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was subordinate to the Father in heaven. There is a hierarchy in the Trinity. The Father sent the Son The Son sent the Spirit. The Spirit only says what the Son said. And the Son says and does only what the Father says and does. I'll give you John 5, 19. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus signs to this man, What I'm about to do for you comes from God the Father. I am looking up to heaven because that is where the power of healing comes from. And He sent me to heal you. Give Him credit 
and glory and honor. And so this man understands quickly now, there's something serious going on here. There's an application here for us. And I'm going to tell you that there is great conviction that's heaped on this preacher this morning. When I look at what Jesus does in helping a man with an intense problem in life. Jesus pauses in the busyness of the crowds. Can't you imagine how they clamored and came upon him? He, he in the moment, has this man with a devastating issue. He cannot hear and he cannot speak. Can you imagine life like that? By the way, the text says he had a speech impediment, which likely means there was a time when he could hear and he could speak. Because people born deaf don't have speech impediments. They can't speak at all. His speech has been impeded. It has been chained. His hearing has been taken from him. And that has affected this man's speech. And in this moment, Jesus pulls him aside, symbolically says, I understand your situation, and I am here to heal you, and I want you to know where the power to do this comes from. I want to pray before I do anything next. That convicts me as a pastor. That should convict you as a father or a mother or an employee or a coworker. We must do all things in the power and in the discipline of a relationship with our God that comes through prayer. And God in the flesh, before He does anything next, pauses and prays to His Father in heaven. May we not be people who counsel and evangelize and sit with people in strife and do it prayerlessly. Yet we do it often. I know when I do it as a pastor. It's not often, but I have been so busy in the moment that I have counseled without prayer. I've just drawn on the strength of things I've known in the past, and I'm going to deal with the issue at hand. It's almost like we take the attitude sometimes in life, stop praying and do something about it. And that's not the approach that Jesus takes here. Jesus stops doing and prays about it. So may in 2016, we be defined as a people who don't just do, but do only after we've prayed to our Father in heaven and gained from Him the insight and the power to do anything for the gospel in someone's life. We should live by the logic of, yes, quit doing and pray. There is so much going on in this world, I'm going to tell you that one of the chief sins of the Christian is prayerlessness. One of the chief sins we commit is that we act without praying. Because of that, there's so much so-called Christian ministry that goes on that has such little impact for the kingdom of God. Because we do things prayerlessly. You do not want a preacher preaching who hasn't prayed You don't want to come to Josh, me, one of the elders, for counsel and know that we're counseling you without prayer behind it. If you're desperate for us to be plugged in to the Father, just as Jesus was in this moment. 
And so Jesus here stops everything and intercedes with the Father on behalf of this man. And I want us to love him for that. He's not a magician. He submitted to God the Father, even though he is God the Son. And he wants to act with the power that comes from the Almighty. Well, let's look at the fifth thing that Jesus does. The text says that he sighed. A, a great true translation of that is that he sighed deeply. What's in this sigh? This is to symbolize to the man, because when you sigh deeply, a deaf man can see your body and what it's doing. This is sign language, and Jesus is communicating to this man deep care and compassion for this man's pitiful situation. It is worthy of Jesus' pity. He can't hear and he can't speak. And Jesus, in this moment, knows what's behind this man's condition. And it is nothing short than the fallenness of the world that this man lives in. Maybe not a sin that this man committed. He's not under divine judgment, perhaps. The text doesn't give us any of that. But he lives in a fallen world on the other side of Genesis chapter 3 where man disobeyed God. And we know from the Bible that when man disobeyed God, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And all kinds of mayhem was introduced into the creation. And one of those things was that human beings lose their hearing and lose their ability to speak. And become possessed by demons and on and on and on. So Jesus' sigh is due, I think, to his understanding of what is behind this man's dilemma. And yes, Jesus knows what he was about to do. But our God is not a transactional God. He is a relational God. And he wanted this man to understand that he knew what was going on. And he empathized with him. So this sigh is a, a sign of emotion on the part of Jesus. Our God has emotions. <laughs> now they're not like our emotions. Our emotions are fallen and often inappropriate to the situation. But God's emotions are perfect emotions always. And they're always right for the moment that he finds himself working within. Love him for this because he understands this man and he sighs because he understands this man's condition. That, that verse there, and he looked up to heaven and he sighed, brings me great comfort. When I hit that this last week, I sighed. I relaxed. And I looked into my Jesus and I said, I am thankful that that sigh of empathy is how you relate to me even now in my condition. We have a sighing Christ, emotional Christ, who knows how to relate to us well. And then number six, he finally says something. He says, Ephatha. Mark tells us that's Aramaic for be opened. In Christ's ultimate act, it's not to put his fingers in the man's ears. It's not to wet his tongue with his spit. It's not ultimately to, to look up to heaven and sigh. Those are all preludes to now what he's going to do because he has drawn power from on high. Now he speaks and things begin to happen. This didn't change anything. 
this touching of the tongue didn't change anything. It's only when Jesus spoke, Ephatha, be opened, that something happened. This is the same God that we see in Genesis chapter 1. This is a God who speaks and things happened. Genesis 1-3, God says, let there be light. And immediately, there's light. And he separates the light from the dark. And he calls the light day and the dark night. So this is the God who created everything. And Jesus' words, Ephatha, communicate to this man his deity. And I want us to look into this passage this morning and see the deity of Jesus Christ and love him more because of it. Jesus is sovereign over this man's faculties. And when Jesus speaks this man's faculties, his hearing and his tongue obey, and they are opened and freed to do what they were intended to do. Now, there's six things that Jesus did, divine sign language through each one of those. And there are three results in verse 35 that we get from Jesus' work. His word, if fatha, has three impacts on this man. Number one, his ears were opened. The first things, the first issue, item that this man hears is the word of God. And it says, be opened. Number two, we see that his tongue was released. Literal translation, the chain of his tongue was broken. And three, he spoke plainly. No speech therapy. No progressive regathering of his speech. Immediately, he speaks plainly. And I imagine he had to have spoken the praises of God. In the form of the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son. So when Christ spoke, this man's faculties obeyed. I'm going to come back to that in a moment to make application, but let's look at what happens in the aftermath. Verse 36. Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Jesus, once again, we've seen this before in the Gospel of Mark, charges them to secrecy. Why? Why does he not want them to go tell? Well, there's two things going on. Jesus is truly, in his sovereignty, managing the hour that he has come for. And that hour is an appointment with a cross on a hill called Calvary in Jerusalem. And he does not want that hour to come early or late. He wants that hour to come right on time. And Jesus Christ has many divine appointments between this point and that cross at Calvary that he must fulfill. These are, this is one of them. And so he is sovereignly reigning over the hour of his death and resurrection, subsequent resurrection. There's another thing at play, though, and it has to do with his death and resurrection. He does not seem to want people to go forth and tell a partial gospel. 
what these people can go say is, you need to come see this guy. He touched his ears, he touched his tongue, he said, be opened, and this man heard and spoke from that point forward. That's a great story, but when you hold that up to the full gospel, that is a pathetic nothing. The full gospel is, we need you to meet the one that cured us of all our sins. And he did it by dying on a cross in our place. And and more than that, on the third day, he overcame death. And he rose again to live forever. And if we believe in what he did on the cross and what he did by raising, we too die and rise again to live forever. And we are no longer under the curse of death that comes from sin in our life. So Jesus says, don't go tell everybody yet because number one, I don't need this hour to be accelerated. But number two, it's really not the full story. The full story is that one day you're going to understand that I'm going to die for all of you and rise again. And you have no knowledge of that yet. The text says that they were astonished beyond measure. (laughs) I imagine so. It's hard for us to be that astonished on this side of this event, reading it in our Bibles. But if we pause for a moment and really consider this scene, we too should be astonished beyond measure. Matthew, if you look in his account, Matthew 15, he adds this, and they glorified the God of, of Israel. That's no short matter, seeing how these people are Gentiles that worshiped all kinds of pagan gods. Upon seeing this man healed, they worship and glorify the God of Israel. And again, look at what they say. They say, He has done all things well. That just kind of echoes in my ear way back to Genesis 1. What, 131, when God saw that all he had created and he called it very good. So, Jesus in this text this morning heals a deaf man with a speech impediment. And it is truly miraculous. But if all we've done is gathered here to look at that story, we have not fully preached a gospel message yet. And I always say that a sermon is not preached until a sermon is applied. And there is a very vivid personal application for every one of us in this room this morning coming out of this text. I want you to look at it. And I want you to love Jesus more for it. Jesus' healing of the deaf and mute man has equal application for us today the physical disabilities of this man point to an even greater spiritual disability that you and I have for you see we have a heart condition and it is terminal if something is not done about it we need Jesus to touch us yes but we need jesus to pray to the father for us yes but we need jesus ultimately to speak 
to us in our hearts. How are you impaired spiritually in your heart this morning? I'd like to go through the room and ask every one of you to name them. It's not it, it's them. But here's a sampling. Some of us are sinning with a proclivity towards anger. Some of us have a lust problem. Some of us are unforgiving. Some of us are materialistic. Some of us are lazy. Some of us are riddled with anxiety and uncertainty about the future. Some of us are in the deep throes of depression. And I could go on and on and on. And we need to be brought before Christ. And we need Him to work us over like He did this man in the Decapolis. In our struggle with anger, we need to come to Jesus Christ and we need Him to touch us on our heart where that anger has found root. And as He does that, we need Him to look up into heaven and we need Him to sigh over our anger and we need Him to speak to it. Father, be opened, be released from bondage. We struggle with lust. We need to take this lust and we need to go before Jesus Christ. And we need to say to Jesus, we have this problem with lust. And it resides right here, Jesus. What can you do with it? And you need Jesus Christ to touch your heart where that lust has taken root. And to pray to the Father for the strength and the power to remove that. And when he prays and he removes that, he's calling us to repent of lust. To repent of anger, of unforgiveness, of depression, of anxiety. We need to repent of it. And in our repentance, it will be freed through his power. And we will be able to worship him with that portion of our heart that at one time worshipped something else. We don't need to marvel at what Jesus did with this man in the Decapolis. We need to plead with him to work with us in the same way with the myriad of issues that we struggle with in our life. We need to go to Jesus with these issues and we need to say to him, Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. That's the message for this morning. What are the results of Christ working in us like this? The results are immediate. If we go to Jesus Christ and we confess our sins that are found in our heart and we ask Him to remove them from our heart, just like this man's ears were opened immediately, his tongue was released immediately, and he speaks plainly, we can be forgiven for those sins. We will still struggle with them, perhaps. But forgiveness for those sins is immediate. Sanctification is progressive, but forgiveness in that moment is immediate. So how do we get this from Jesus today? 
He hasn't come ashore off of a boat here in Stephenville to walk up to us and stick his fingers in our ears. And How do we get this from Jesus in 2016? Right here. We get it from his word. We have the same word. Jesus says, Ephatha to this man. This Bible is full of that. Jesus' words and commands to the issues that we struggle with in life. And when we read this word, there is a touching Christ behind it, over it, through it, within it, that reaches out into our hearts and touches us in those places where sin has taken root. And he says, be released. And in that moment, we repent of these sins. When we read this Bible, there is a praying and sighing Jesus behind it and over it and through it. And at the end of it all, Jesus says to us, be cleansed, be opened, be healed. And when this happens, we are to say, just like these people in the Decapolis, he has done all things well. And we need to give glory to our God in heaven for the work of Christ in our life. So may we love Jesus more because of what we've seen in his relational healing of this man some 2,000 years ago. And may we also understand ultimately that Jesus heals us on his cross and in his empty tomb in our belief in him. And his work for us in our place. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. And it is my prayer that your people here this morning love you more. As a result of encountering you in your word. Jesus, we have many disabilities. Would you touch us? Would you pray over us? Would you empathize with us? Would you speak to us this year to heal us of all these items that prohibit us from worshiping you rightly? And when you do it, Lord, may we all say that you've done all things well and may we give you glory and honor for what you've done. I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was given to us by the Father. Amen.